welcome back to the Vavil League One and Two podcast. This week we're going to be focusing on the mess unfolding in the northeast with Sunderland. To do this, we'll be joined by football finance expert at the University of Liverpool, Kieran Maguire, for his second stint on the pod. One more, we'll have to send him a science football soccer M style. <laughs> as well as discussing the Sunderland's problems, we'll also be dissecting the finances of clubs up and down the country ahead of the new season on this week's Favel EFL podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this week's pod. If you have missed any of our previous episodes, check us out on Spotify, Acast, Google Pods, and iTunes. But of course, you're a regular, you know that by now. So without further ado, let's get started. There's so much we can say with what's going on with Sunderland, but it would be much easier to just start with this. Kieran, what on earth is going on at the Stadium of Light? Um, if I knew for sure, I think I'd be a very rich man. Um, we've got revisions of price. We've got rogue potential owners who I suspect could be even worse than what we've got at present. Um, in, uh, in in this guy that's come in from uh, the, the energy group. Uh, the, the price at which they're asking for the club can't be justified uh, from a business point of view. So it, it, it's a mess. It, unfortunately, it's like, it's like too much of football at present. Um, there's, there's a lack of governance. There's a lack of leadership um, coming from a variety of sources. And, and it's the... It's it's the fans who are, are suffering. So you know the the Williams story story, which appears to be the latest one. Um, I don't think that one's got any legs, but you, you never know, um, and, and you, you do fear for uh, club survival because we we now have a situation. Appreciate it's not your club, but but Charlton are looking at at, at an increased risk of going out of business at present and, and I don't want that for any club I don't go who, who you support even if it's your rival because you, you can't have rivalry without rivals yeah it's absolutely mad isn't it I mean we've spent the majority of our pods thus far slating the EFL so it's probably worth to continue that trend how is it possible to allow a man to buy a club like Sunderland with money which was borrowed from their parachute payments um well ultimately uh the, the the EFL and and uh, I, th- I think it's fair to say that uh, I'm I'm not very popular with the EFL, um, <laughs> but the 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 EFL have to follow company law, and remember that the purpose of the EFL is that it is a members association which operates in the best interests of club owners. It is not there for the fans, so therefore. Is it in the best interests of club owners if we have owners and directors tests, if we have the potential for when somebody buys a club, they have to pay a significant bond, a good faith bond, which doesn't get returned to them until, let's say, you know, 12 months after they sell the club or something of that nature. Um, is, it, is it in the interests of club owners to have rules which make it more difficult to sell a club? And I would say no. So... I, th- I think we have to de- decide. Yeah, you know, what what is the purpose of the EFL? At present, it it is owned by the individual clubs. They ha- they all have a share, as does the the football association. But the football association does nothing with theirs. So 
it, it then becomes, as we've seen with issues to do with closing down the season in Leagues 1 and 2, it, it then becomes an element of horse trading and uh, you know WhatsApp groups getting bigger and smaller and so on uh, and, and meetings behind closed doors. And, and it's all very clandestine. That There's no transparency. And the attitude, I think, of too many people in football and, and yeah, there's plenty of good people out there, uh, plenty of good club owners, but there's too many who just see us as fans, as uh, you know, we are there to be. It's horrible words. These, it, we're there to be monetized, we're there to be patronized, and, and we're there to provide the atmosphere when then when they are selling the the rights to broadcasting, um, and, and actually our our stake in the club. Uh, that emotional stake which you get when you go with your your mum and dad or whatever it's going to be when you're five, six, seven years old and you're going to have the rest of your life, that emotional investment counts for nothing. And I know this, the, the podcast is mainly focusing on Sunderland, but I'm, I'm quite interested in the point you make about the fact that the EFL is acting in the best interest of the owners and not the supporters. Um, what, what, what kind of solution do you think there could be to this problem you know you, you see a lot of clubs actually well not a lot but there's a few that are now fan owned should there be maybe a, a, a fan representative on the EFL would something like that ever work well the, the the EFL does have dialogue with the FSA um but then you, you can go along, you can, you can have meetings with people and everybody can nod and say, yes, we're in agreement with this in principle and so on. And then uh, you know, Rick Parry goes to a meeting with the club owners and they say, well, sod that for Game of Soldiers. This is what we want. And, and we're the people that pay your wages. So the, the only way that we can have true autonomy is if uh, there is some form of individual who is independent of the club's and therefore can act in the best interests of the game as a whole, as opposed to what we presently have is, uh, you know, we saw the EFL come out, was it two weeks ago, when the DCMS report came out recommending that uh, gambling adverts on front of shirt were cancelled. And the first thing you heard from the EFL, oh no, this is, you know, gambling's great. Yeah, never mind the two million people with gambling problems in this country. Never mind all the people in all the other countries. Oh, gambling's absolutely wonderful. Um, you've got it wrong because we... We as club owners, we like the money we get from that particular business. And staying on, um, obviously, the, the idea of the club owners, we've got one at Sunderland, uh, Stuart Donald, who is valuing his club at £37.5 million. Certain press reports are to be believed. Uh, it seems very bizarre valuation, considering it was the price he bought the club at the time when they were due to receive two years of parachute payments. Obviously, that has now expired. What sense can be made of this valuation? Uh, well, there is no sense. That there, is, there is no business sense behind it. Um, how, how do you value a business that there's a variety of... There's a variety of nerdy models that you can use, but one of the ones you do, one of the ones that you do say, well, you know, what, what are similar businesses going for? So we saw Charlton be sold for a pound. We saw Wigan be sold for 18 million pounds and, you know, got out both of those clubs with, with their new owners. We've, we've seen what's happened there. So how, how can you justify twice that price for Sunderland, especially when they are being sold as a club which is going into League One next season? Um, there's, so Stuart Donald's argument is that he doesn't want to lose any money, and and that's how he's formed the basis of his valuation. But it's a bit like, you know, me me buying a house, it being struck by lightning, 
uh, you know, the roof falls off and then me demanding, oh, get up, me sticking it back up on the market for the price I paid for it because simply I don't want to lose any money. It's, it's completely ignoring um, both external issues in the sense that we are now living in a, a global health crisis. Um, there is going to be, you know, potentially three to four million people unemployed at the end of this year. Um, and, and as you rightly said, he, he bought the club um, on the basis of inheriting a, a squad which shouldn't have been relegated out of the championship, let alone spend two years in, in League One. So I think you know the, the potential to bounce back was there, but that's not materialised under his stewardship. Um, and next next season... When, it, when a match is going to take place, our match is going to have to be cancelled again if we get a second wave. There is so much uncertainty that you, you can't justify that figure of 37.6 million. So uh, it, it's just a number which he's come up with in his head. So he gets his money back. And we, we need to get to the bottom of what's happened with the parachute payments. Have those money monies been paid to Ellis Short? This strange £20 million write-off in the accounts needs further explanation. Um, but yeah, ideally, he should let the fans go in or you know, a representative of the fans go in to see the books, to come out and, and to be able to um, reduce the uncertainty because what that's what we have at present. And an uncertainty builds uh, conspiracy theories um, and, and, it's, and, it, and it has caused deterioration in the relationship. Now, you know, for all I know, Stuart Donald can be a perfectly nice guy. Uh, you know, we've, all, we've all seen the documentary. You looked at it through, you know, presumably through the, the cracks in your fingers. Um, and as a non-Sunderland fan, I can assure you, the rest of the country, we watched it eating popcorn going, Jesus Christ, I cannot believe what I'm seeing here. Um, so if he, if he comes out... And he says, we're going to show the books, we're going to be honest with people, then um, I, th I think that could restore the relationship between him and the fan base. Um, but whoever whoever does buy the club, I think will will probably have a huge amount of goodwill from the, from the fans. But as we've seen with Donald himself, and we've also seen with what's happened at, at Charlton, Berry, Bolton, um, and Wigan, that, that goodwill can evaporate very quickly as well if the new owner turns out to be worse than the existing one. Kevin, how much of an impact would these parachute payments actually have on the day-to-day -day running of the club? Well, I mean, the, the, the purpose of parachute payments is... if you, The reason why they're introduced is that when you, when you depart the Premier League, when you are relegated you are jumping off a cliff. You are going from a, a £100 million a year TV deal to one which is worth £7 million. Um, so if you jump off a cliff, you're going you're gonna to crash. So the, the purpose of parachute payments, in theory, was to slow down the descent so that you crash slower. Um, and, and therefore, there is some logic in having parachute payments because... Uh, as you know, with with some of the players, was it was it Jack Rodwell? He had a contract with no relegation clauses, as had other players. And you you cannot go from um, some of the wage bills that we're seeing in the Premier League. For example, Bournemouth have just been relegated. Their wage bill last season was 111 million pounds. If they didn't have parachute payments, they would drop into a division where realistically their income would be in the region of 20. So the business is going to 
you know, unless the unless the owner bails them out, unless they sell a lot of players very quickly, the business is going to go bust. So the the rationale behind parachute payments is to slow the fall and, and allow clubs to acclimatise to life outside of the Premier League. And uh, I've just got a couple of questions to ask you, um, Kieran, in, in regards to Stuart Donald. Firstly, do you buy into the notion that due to the hate he has received at the club, it makes selling it much, much harder? And secondly, with obviously, as, as you just mentioned, we both watched the Sunderland Till I Die documentaries, both series. And as you just touched on there, Jack Rod players like Jack, Jack Rodwell dropping down into the championship with Sunderland with no relegation release clauses. And is he is he the scapegoat? He, he did inherit a mess when he walked into the stadium of life as well um if, if we take those two issues one by one in in respect of the hate towards Stuart donald um it has no impact whatsoever for a prospective buyer in, in fact it could be a positive because if i was a prospective buyer i'd be saying if they hate him they're gonna love me yeah, yeah, I, I remember uh i think it's probably it's probably well known that i'm a brighton fan i i, I remember when we were playing at Elland Road on the day that Ken Bates took over as Leeds uh, uh, Supremo. And the fans there were going absolutely berserk with joy. And this is Ken Bates we're talking about. So whoever comes in has the goodwill of the fans because they are not Stuart Donald. And you know, there's, there's a club about 30 miles away from you guys where whoever takes over they're going to benefit from not being Mike Ashley. So you come initially with a huge amount of goodwill. So to say that the, the hostility towards him is putting off prospective buyers is, is a nonsense. Um, did he inherit uh, a bit of a mess? Y- yes, he did. Um, but the, that's, that's the benefit of having, having parachute payments. Um, did he conduct himself particularly well? Unfortunately, uh, why he allowed the the Will Grigg episode to be to be uh, to be uh, shot by the camera crew is beyond me. Because but in doing that, he lost all credibility with anybody connected with the game. Uh, you know, to pay that sum for a player his manager didn't think was worth the fee. Uh, just to prove that he was a wheeler dealer, uh, just just showed that he was really out of his depth in terms of things. And because the fans have now seen that, they've lost faith in him, um, as well as, of course, of the failure to deliver um, last season. It's Sunderland's wage bill, I estimate, was around about £27 million in League One. The average wage bill is six. So to, to have four and a half times the wage bill of most clubs in that division and to fail go, to go up is 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 an indictment of Stuart Donald's uh, ownership of the club. And um, how how just how damaging has this has the um, the Netflix documentary been? Because we know Sunderland, a, a huge club, it shouldn't be in League One, but it, it's over uh, consistently over two series. It, it, they've sort of turned themselves into a bit of a laughing stock with it, haven't they? Yeah, but. I, I live most of my life in Manchester. Manchester City have been a laughing stock for years in Manchester, I can assure you. Um, so, you know, th- these things can be turned around very quickly. Uh, it, it, it won't put off buyers. Um, it will, people that have watched that who, who are serious about football, and this is this is where, you know, I, I'm concerned about the, uh, you know, the William Story tale. 
Um, people that are serious w- will just disregard it. They'll just go, well, you know, they're, they're being run by amateurs uh, previously. We're going to take a professional approach and therefore we don't see that as being a problem. Just a quick question as well. Obviously, in terms of the size of the club within the EFL, the 72, there is a strong argument to suggest it's, it's possibly the biggest club and despite obviously the mess that it currently finds itself in should the new get buyer get it right how, how exciting is it for someone who is a prospective buyer looking at the club as, as a as a real fallen giant in the third division of english football how sort of attractive and exciting is that to a prospective buyer what two words wolverhampton wanderers yeah they were they were bought in league one by foson they foson got the management structure right they got the recruitment right uh wolves uh, I've said they've had two seasons in the Premier League now. They were bought for thirty million. Um, Foson could sell it, sell that club for for ten times that sum now. Uh, if if you if you get that right, Sunderland have got the right infrastructure. They've got the academy. They've got a that they're a they're a one city team. There's so many positives going for Sunderland. Um, you just need the right decision makers at the club. Uh, you know, I, I've got Sunderland's accounts going back at least a decade, and, and I've seen the payoffs for chief executives during that period. And, and I just scratch my head. You know, how can one club make so many wrong decisions? Uh, it, it it goes beyond bad luck, and it, it does seem to be some form of cultural issue at the very top of the club. But with with you know now we've had two owners. I think Ellis Short delegated responsibility to people who, to a certain extent, lent him down. Um, Stuart Donald has a, has an elevated opinion of his own ability. Somebody who comes in runs Sunderland on a professional level. Um, then you know, that they should be in you know, in five years' time where Wolves are now. Uh, and you spoke about one of the bids. Another bid that has gained traction with the fans is a prospective bid from former player Michael Gray and, and a consortium backed by him. In terms of what he can bring to the table, how attractive is that as a, as a prospect? Because I know it has split fans down the middle. There's some fans who believe it is just sort of a... Uh, an ego massage uh, for Graham himself. There's others that are genuinely excited at the thought of a local lad done well um, coming into the club and saving it almost. Uh, where do you stand on that one? Um, I, th- I think it's always great when somebody with a local uh, uh, a local relationship is involved because they understand the pride taken by Sunderland Sunderland fans. Uh, my, my reservation is. Yeah, and sadly, there are so many of these clubs. If you go back to what happened at Bolton Wanderers and Dean Holdsworth, he he went in, he bought the club uh, with Ken Anderson from uh, Eddie Davis. He then had a fallout with the other owner. He disappeared into the sunset. And when he disappeared, that's when stuff started to crawl out the woodwork in, in terms of some of the, the loan deals they've signed and so on. So, yeah, would it be great if Mickey Gray came in? I'm always concerned is if the, the person is is just a figurehead and the people behind him are using him as a shield, uh, then then that could be a bad thing. If they have, if they're all lined up rowing in the same direction, if every if everybody thinks the same in terms of yeah, we want to grow this club, we, we see this as as a sleeping giant, as a club with huge potential to get back into the Premier League and then to compete, uh, you know, not for relegation but on on a on a more competitive basis, then then it can work. So I'm I'm not worried about Mickey Gray. It's it's the people associated with him. That's that's who you need to be investigating. 
Kieran, last week talked a lot about the situation at Wigan and I just wanted to know from a more of a financial point of view, what's going on there and what does the future look like for that club? Until we find out the nature of the relationship between the two owners. So there was the International Entertainment Corporation who bought the club in November 2018. Now, that that's controlled by a professional gambler. It could be that he thought he could do uh, he could do a Wolverhampton Wanderers. So he could buy the club for 15 million, get it into the Premier League, sell it for you know, 10, 20 times that match. Yeah, that, that's, that's the nature of a gambler. Um, 18 months later, he'd, he'd, he'd actually put £24 million extra into the club to keep it going. And, and he walks away. Now, who in their right mind would buy a football club for £40 million and then a week later close it down. So you should always apply business logic when making decisions and doing any form of analysis. There, there, is, no lo- there is no logic in what has happened at, at Wigan. Nobody's going to throw £40 million away for the sheer hell of it. And also, you've got to ask yourself the question, if, if they delayed putting the club into administration until September, then they would have had a club to sell that was in the championship and they could get a far bigger price for it. So nothing makes sense whether or not the administrators have the resources or have the ability to get access to records which are potentially held in the Philippines or Hong Kong. I'm, I'm uncertain. So it could be. It could be just a mystery. And, and just a final one on Wigan. Obviously, they have ended up being relegated from the championship, so they'll be playing in League One next season. Points deduction appeal pending. How likely do you think it is that they will have that point seduction overturned. Looking at the EFL handbook, the rules are very clear. So it is a 12-point deduction for going into administration. There is sort of reference to a what we, what we call a force majeure clause, external factors. That is what Wigan's QC is, is going. That's the route they're going to go down. The appeal, I believe, is being held later this week on the 31st. It's going to cost between four to £500,000 in, in respect of, I believe, Wigan, as a result of appealing, they have to pay the EFL's legal fees, which, which again, seems very harsh. You know, if, the, if the EFL are saying they're skint, well, why did they give Sean Harvey a half million pound payoff last year when he left? So, you know, in terms of priorities, where, where do they lie? Looking at the rules, I think Wigan have got a tough, tough job to, to overturn the decision. And if they do overturn the decision, where does that leave the club that then gets relegated? And, you know, will they put in an appeal? So it gets incredibly messy. And just finally, to close us off, we've invited two further teams into the EFL on Sunday, Bournemouth and Watford. One of those has been widely reported today, Bournemouth, in the contracts written into the players, some of their top earning players, they don't have any relegation, reduced wage contract section. So so the, the payments of the players is going to be exactly the same going into the championship season. Obviously, it's always been widely reported as well that due to the, the, the small stadium and the lack of funding that they can get at Bournemouth, it's been quite difficult to, to fund that push. How damaging for a club like Bournemouth could that be? And on another note, why are clubs not learning? We obviously have seen the issues that Sunderland have had. Bournemouth, again, if if they go down without these relegation release clauses or anything like that, what, what is going on at these clubs? If you want to sign a good player, then he or his agent holds the balance of power in negotiations so if Nathan Ake, who, who did he go on loan initially to Bournemouth and then they signed him, I think he he did that. He's clearly a, a very good player. Um, if his agent says, "Well, I will only," I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at Chelsea at present. I've got a contract. I'm well paid there. I, I I could quite happily go back to Chelsea and they'll stick me out at loan somewhere else next season. So Bournemouth say, "Well, we're desperate to get you." 
So so Nathan Ake's agent says, well, okay, uh, if if you're as progressive a club as you claim to be, there's little chance of you getting relegated. So therefore, my client's not prepared to sign a relegation clause. And Bournemouth say, yeah, okay. It's, it's as simple as that. It's who holds the balance of power when you are signing a player. Now, if, if that player, let, let's say, if we contrast that to, say, David Brooks, who, very good player at Sheffield United, but hadn't played in the Premier League, it could be that Bournemouth said, we're a 12th to 17th place club on the, in the main. We want you to have a, a relegation clause. You've not played in the Premier League before. Uh, there's nobody else necessarily coming in for you apart from, yeah, you could go to Forest, you could go to Borough, you, some other the big, bigger clubs in uh, in uh, in the championship who are splashing the cash this season. Um, or you could come for us. You'll, you'll get more money than you were on the championship. And if the worst happens, you'll, you'll still get decent wages. And therefore, he under those circumstances, he might say yes to such clauses. So it, it, it is a negotiation issue. Uh, I think anybody renewing a, a contract this year in the Premier League, unless they're in the big six, will will have to go and sign a, a relegation clause because the, the, the power has shifted to the clubs. But I do think Bournemouth will be OK because Ake is a very good player. So yeah, you could see Everton, West Ham, you, you, know, you can see plenty of clubs being willing to pay 30, 35 million for him. Uh, Brooks is a good player. Josh King is a good player. You know, they've, they've got players who, who they can sell in the market and, and that will dig them out of a hole for next season. I'm afraid that is all we have time for tonight. Again, a huge thank you to Kieran for coming on again. And of course, thank you for listening at home. We'll be back next week.